0: Regrets. We all have them. Whether it be something from last week, last year, or decades ago, we long to make things right, to change direction, to begin again. The good news is this you can start over. You can actually learn to love your regrets. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to say after that introduction. I think I'll just say nothing, but if you are new or if you feel new to community, we would love for you to come over to our house on the 13th for uh, our newcomer's dinner, and our most beloved Pastor John will be there, so uh, and others as well and staff, but yeah, it's always a good time and love opening up our home, so we would love for you to come by and uh, hang out with us on that night, and it's just it's just so great to be here. I was... Like, I'm guessing many of you, you know, I'm getting up this morning. It's so absolutely gorgeous outside. It has been for three days. And I'm walking to church. I'm taking pictures. I'm sending them to my kids in New York. And it's so beautiful in Chicago right now. New York's got nothing on us. Anyway, I'm angry about that, that they're still over there and not here. But uh, anyway, um, (laughs) have you you ever found yourself holding on to a secret? Have you ever found yourself holding on to a secret? Uh, Maybe something you regret, Maybe something you regret. For most of us, our, our first secrets began when we were kids. Uh, you'd sneak an extra piece of candy, right? Or you might spit out your broccoli when your parents weren't looking or whatever food you hated to eat that they wanted you to eat. Or maybe you were like John Prine. We kind of worked on this talk together and we talked about this. And he said that he would put a handful of dirt in his mouth when he was a kid and tried to tell me that that was a normal childhood behavior. <laughs> Is Anybody else put dirt in your mouth as a kid? Yeah, I... There's, there's therapy for that kind of thing, John. I'm not sure that that's so normal. But if you did, I'm sure that later on you did regret that move, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, secrets aren't just something we hold on to uh, when we're young. Uh, keeping secrets is something we continue to do as adults. As a matter of fact, we found some research that shows that the average adult has 13 secrets. 13 secrets that are holding on to at any given time. And five of those secrets, they've never told to a single soul. Think about that. We have five secrets, on average, that we've never, ever shared with anybody. And I would almost find it hard to believe if we hadn't come across this massive social art experiment. And it began back in 2005. Maybe uh, some of you have heard of this or participated in it. It's called Post Secret. Anybody heard of this or seen this? Okay, well, a few of you have. All right, I'll I'll explain it to you. Uh, Frank Warren, an entrepreneur Invited anyone who had a secret they'd never shared to write it on a postcard and send it to his P.O. box. Then on Sunday, every Sunday for the past 17 years, he posts 10 of these secrets on his blog. All right, last, how many years? Since 2005. Every Sunday he posts 10 secrets on his blog. Now, some of these secrets are quite humorous, like this one. I I chose, we chose a few. Uh, I'm afraid to hold people's hands because mine are incredibly sweaty. Maybe some of you can relate to that, all right? Um, Or this one, I tell all the kids that I babysit that I turn into a mermaid at night. They always believe me. I don't know, that's kind of weird. Funny but weird. Others are more disturbing, okay. Sometimes I go to funerals of strangers just to hit on the hot women. I'm pathetic, but it works. Quick show of hands, no, don't. No, just kidding, just kidding, don't do that. Um, And some of them, as you could expect, are, are just heartbreaking, like this one. I smile all the time so that, Nobody knows how sad and lonely I really am. Or this one, I'm 21 years old, my dad is the only person who says I love you to me. Sometimes I call to ask him dumb questions uh, just to hear it once in a while. And uh, man, those, are, those just kind of get, get to you when you read those, don't they? But you know, if you're a coffee drinker, I couldn't help it. I had to land with this one, okay? This may be the most painful, I give ca- decaf cu- to customers who are rude to me. Another good reason to be kind to your barista, right? Uh, by the way, the coffee on the table here is decaf today, sorry. I'm kidding, it's not, it's, it's, it's regular. But if we're honest with ourselves, I think we have to admit that, I mean, we all have secrets that we keep hidden. And more often than not, these secrets are actually tied to our regrets. Maybe, I don't know, you failed to get accepted into one of your top three or four colleges. Maybe you maxed out your credit cards again. Or, or maybe um, you did something pretty horrible that pushed away somebody that you really, really care about. We all have regrets. And in this series titled Starting Over, we've been talking about the different types of regrets. And there's regrets of action. These are things that we did that we so, oh, we just kind of like, you know, clench our fists and go, oh, I wish I hadn't done that, right? We can think of those. There are regrets of inaction it's like kind of like the opposite it's not something we did it's actually something we didn't do that we wish we would have done and didn't do and then there's regrets of reaction sometimes our greatest regrets are something that was done to us we had really uh, nothing to do with it we were powerless in those moments and we of course regret that too you see, the problem with regrets is that instead of fading away, they, they stick around. We hold on to our regrets and, they get, and we get stuck in what we call the sorry cycle. And it's this endless pattern of longing and regret, longing and regret, longing to shake loose from our regrets, right? Longing to overcome them, but unable to let go of what we've done or maybe what's been done to us. And, and we have this longing to make it right. We want to we overcome them, but for some reason we can never quite get there, which only leads what? To even more, help me out, more regret, right? I mean, that's kind of how the sorry cycle works. But I'm here to tell you today, there is good news. There really is. There is good news. It's possible to live beyond your regrets. You can start over no matter who you are, no matter what you regret, starting over is actually possible and last week we talked about how we can actually learn to love our regrets. When we begin to see them, you see, not as like a finish line or even a dead end, but as a starting line, as a almost like a kickstart to help us move closer to God or or overcome whatever it is that we feel like is holding us back. And so over the next three weeks, we want to talk about three three steps to starting over. Three steps to starting over. And this first step starts with a choice. And it's choice with two options, but sadly, the choice we most often make is to ignore our regrets. Isn't that true? Think about it. The choice we often make is to ignore our regrets. I mean, it makes sense. It's a natural response. If you've got something that you've held on to that's been a secret for a long time, why reveal it now, right? But here's the de- deal. You see, my regret may not be visible, but it's still there. And it's not going to go away on its own. You know, it kind of made me think of the times when I've been running, and, and maybe you can uh, relate to this a little bit, but um, I'd get a rock stuck in my shoe, or a little pebble. Have you ever had that happen? Give me, a, shake shake your head if it's happening. Maybe if you've been running or walking, you get a little pebble. This is <laughs> this would this would be a sizable stone to have in your shoe, but I wanted to use something you could actually see, but that's happened to me, and I think it's happened to everybody. When you've been walking or running, you get this little pebble in your shoe, and it, and, and it just kind of starts to annoy you, right? And may, maybe at first, you know, you kind of barely notice Sometimes you're not even sure it's there. But the more you walk, or especially if you're running, I mean, that small pebble can become a very significant problem when you're trying to run. And you see, that's what happens when we ignore our regrets. It's like you're walking or running around life with a painful pebble in your shoe, and it's causing all sorts of hurt and discomfort. I, I'm, try this on. You know, m- Maybe you're um, starting a new relationship. Or maybe you're hoping to start a new relationship, but you have regrets from your past, past relationships. And you know, you try to put your best foot forward, if you will, but that regret is still reminding you of your past mistakes. Or or maybe you're thinking about a a new venture of some kind, something where you want to kind of step out into something new, maybe a new career or a a new opportunity comes along and it's going to require a certain amount of risk and and you've prayed about it, you've sought wise counsel, you're getting green lights from everywhere, but sadly, the regret of failures from the past is causing you all sorts of grief and unnecessary caution. And this regret, I mean, it it could be anything. Um, Significant debt. Wasted time, a harsh word that crushed someone you love, a DUI, a lost job, or an interview that went sour, or maybe some sort of repeated sin pattern. Uh, There's a path that I run sometimes uh, between my house and and, uh, the lakefront, and this path has kind of that fine sandstone or gravel, whatever it is, it's that fine stuff, limestone, I guess it is. And from time to time, a little pesky pebble will get in my shoe. And here's kind of what goes through my mind. Initially, I think, well, you know, if I, I just ignore it, maybe it'll go away. It's not really there. You ever, ever do that? And then I'll run a little bit further and i think, well, maybe if I just run fast enough, it'll like, kind of jettison out of my shoe as though I'm like that fast. And It's, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's not going to happen, right? You can't, unru- you can't outrun a pebble in your shoe. And you see, the danger in not addressing that pebble in your shoe is similar to the danger of not... Addressing that regret and continuing to ignore it. Ignoring regrets from the past keeps me from giving my best to what's in front of me now. Think about that. Ignoring my regrets from the past keeps me from giving my best to what's in front of me now. Ever feel that? Like your regrets from the past kind of have you holding back even from what you're wanting to experience in life right now. You ever feel that? I feel that. Ignoring my regrets can cause further damage to me personally as I just kind of relive what happened or was what happened to me over and over and over again. I, I actually Googled running with a pebble in your shoe and I found all sorts of examples of people that failed to get the pebble out of their shoe and actually did ligament damage because they refused to stop. But see, it's same with our regrets. If we don't address them, they will just cause us more and more pain. See, bottom line, ignoring our regrets never works. Ignoring our regrets never, ever works. And so what I want us to do today is learn from someone who took a very, very long path to finally discovering another option. And his name is David. You might know him as the shepherd boy who killed the the giant with a sling and a few stones, but now David is the king of Israel. He's powerful. He's revered. he's, He's in control. And while David's men are off fighting a a war. David is strolling around on the rooftop of his palace when one evening he notices a beautiful woman in the building next door. It, It sort of reminds me of what happens sometimes in the high rises in the city. There's always that group of guys that are at the pool on the rooftop and they have one thing on their mind. And apparently David only had one thing on his mind too because he's quickly smitten by this woman, but her name is Bathsheba. And she's the wife of one, his most, of one of his most accomplished soldiers whose name is Uriah. Well, sadly, David's longings overrule his judgment and he summons Bathsheba and he sleeps with her. David knows this is wrong. And if he felt any regret the next day, he chooses to ignore it and makes the choice to hide what he's done. But the pain of David's regret just becomes even more difficult to ignore when Bathsheba comes back and says, I'm pregnant. And then David faces that choice once again. Will he deal with his regret or will he try to hide it? You know, will he address that, that pebble in his shoe or will he try to ignore this pain that is now just wreaking havoc everywhere? Well, sadly, David uh, chooses to run a little faster, push a little bit harder and simply ignore this regret that is causing all sorts of hurt and pain. David actually calls Uriah back from the battlefield. He's hoping that if he's, you know, brings him back with Bathsheba, Uh, Perhaps they'll, you know, get together and think that this baby is theirs. Well, Uriah is a man of integrity. He refuses to enjoy the pleasures of home while his men are on the battlefield. And so this pebble of regret has now literally become a boulder of a problem for King David. And so next, David sends uh, Uriah back to the front lines and he tells his generals to leave him alone out there so that he is struck down and killed. Now, not only is David an abuser and a liar, he's a murderer. You know, if you ever think that scripture doesn't give the good, bad, and the ugly of people, it certainly does. One of the heroes, typically, of the faith we see here, and he is looking really, really awful right now. But you know, David's becoming very skilled at hiding his regrets. And in spite of all the pain that he's causing, he continues to try to run at full speed. And after Uriah's death, he brings Bathsheba into the palace and she becomes his wife. And his regret, just, he continues to hide it. And it remains hidden until Nathan, a prophet, comes to David. And uh, Nathan, this prophet, tells David a little story. And, and we're going to read it. It's going to be on the screen here. You can kind of follow along. Uh, there were two men in a certain town. One rich and the other poor. And again, this is Nathan telling David this story, okay, as he's hiding his regret, all that he's done, the abuse, the murder, the lies. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. Do you see maybe where this story's going? Nathan tells the story, and immediately following it says, David is enraged by Nathan's story. And he says, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Have you ever noticed how sometimes people express the greatest rage over injustices that they have regrets over committing themselves? I can only imagine, I mean, the tension here had to be building. Nathan, David, looking at each other face to face. Nathan telling this story. David saying the person who did this must die. And then Nathan said to David, Well, David, you're the man. You're the man. And that pebble in David's shoe could no longer be ignored. And Nathan goes on to tell David what God revealed to him, the abuse of sexuality and power, the deception, the murder. And again, David has a choice, right? He can hide. I mean, he got rid of Uriah. He surely has the means to get rid of Nathan, right? But thankfully, this time, David makes a better choice. He makes a better choice. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And he finally chooses to recognize his regret. And see, that's the choice that all of us have to make if we ever hope to start over. Recognize our regret. Um, Greg, one of our friends here at Community, uh, was faced with a similar decision to hide or recognize his regret. And here's Greg's story.
1: My name is Greg and this is my starting over story. So I grew up in Parkersburg, West Virginia, in I think what most people would call a pretty typical home. Uh, mom and a dad and one younger brother. Church was not a, a huge part of our life. We did go on Sundays, but it was just the place where we had to wear bad socks and I didn't enjoy going. The first time I uh, remember being introduced to alcohol, I was, I was probably about 13 years old. I was hanging out with an, an older kid, his name was Chad, and uh, we stole a couple bottles of wine from my parents' liquor cabinet. And we drank the bottle of wine and we, uh, we made screwdrivers. And when I, when I got home, I remember that I had, uh, we had this downhill driveway uh, into the garage. And I remember the garage door wasn't up, so I remember wrecking into the garage. I remember my parents yelling at me. I remember crying and hugging a toilet. I remember promising that I would never do this again. What I also remember is that even though the consequences were bad, that I thought I had found the answer to life's problems that frankly I didn't even know I had before that day. All the fear and doubt and insecurity in the world just kind of slipped away when I drank and I thought I'd found the answer to life. My parents had different ideas uh, growing up uh, that was not okay in our home, so I found myself in trouble all the time. It's funny, my mom would say, You know, I needed to get different friends, but what she didn't realize is I had become the friend that other people should get a different one for. Um, That's kind of the route my high school took. I think probably the first time that a light bulb came on, I'd been on a bender, came home to steal money. Um, That was my job. (laughs) I snuck into the house and got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. And rather than coming out up with some lie, like I normally would, I remember just saying, I have a problem with drugs and drinking and I I can't stop and I don't know what to do and uh, and so my father actually knew instantly what he wanted to do so uh, they told me that a van was on its way to my house uh, to come pick me up and take me away to my first treatment center so I was 17 years old at that time I felt helpless um, and lost and clueless as to how to how I can make it through life, because I couldn't imagine life going on as I was living it, but I certainly couldn't imagine any other way either at that point. I also looked at my family and realized that I had destroyed any resemblance of what a family is. What What do I do now? I've thrown away everything, life's over. Um, I, didn't real, I, I didn't see how more could happen after, after what I'd done. I won't say that treatment did a lot of good things or life change happened there. But what did happen was I met a counselor named Rob. When Rob would share what it was like for him to want to drink or get high, uh, I knew that Rob was just like me. Uh, And I had grown up up to that point thinking I was the only one that felt that way inside. A seed was planted that if Rob could do it, then maybe there was hope for a guy like me too. I had an aunt who lived in Chicago named Fran, and Fran had recently gotten sober herself and offered that if I wanted to change my life, she offered to let me move out with her to give me a new chance and a new start. So I moved out to Chicago. Fran introduced me to a few other people who were closer to my age and also uh, had gotten sober and recovering. I began to have just a, I guess you'd call it a glimmer of hope, You know, hope that if it was possible for these people, um, that maybe it could be possible for me to. The reality was, I was still a long way away, uh, many years away from getting off this downward destructive sorry cycle.
0: We're gonna hear more from Greg and his story in the coming weeks. But Greg's story of starting over began when he chose to recognize his regrets folks uh, you know we have an enemy who so (laughs) wants us to ignore our regrets and uh, what it sounds like to me is a whisper in my ear that says you know what if you slow down or stop or acknowledge what's happened or what's actually going on then people are gonna see you for who you really are you should just keep running and so that pebble remains small but painfully persistent, hidden but immensely powerful. It's, it's like that regret is now you know, lodged right in the middle of my heel and it's feeding that shame and it's feeding that heartache. But if we want to start over, if we really want to start over, we've got to recognize it. We've got to address it. And so uh, here's the deal. Uh, I hope and pray, and I know this is John's hope and prayer too, is that today, Today actually could be a Nathan moment for every single one of us. Uh, I believe God wants you to recognize your regrets, break the sorry cycle, and start over. Um, The Apostle Peter, we talked about him last week, uh, denied Jesus three times. Incredible regrets, immense regrets, weighed down with a boulder in his shoe of regret. Wrote these words, he said, humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up. You see, we've all got two options, to hide our regrets or to humble ourselves and recognize them, banking on God's promise to forgive and free us from our regrets. So let me just ask you, are you ready to trust God with your regret? And just kind of answer that in your mind right now. are Are you open to trusting God with your regrets? If so, here's what you need to do. First, got to get honest with yourself. you got to get honest with yourself. There are things that you've done, things that were done to you, and you've got to face the facts head on. It happened. You wronged someone. You broke a promise, told a lie, cheated, caused pain. Or maybe you were the one who was wronged. Something happened. And either way, I just want to challenge you. Write it down. Say it out loud. Tell yourself, it happened. You know, one of the reasons uh, it's so hard to be honest with yourself is that we can be our most cruel critic. Isn't it true? And so I want to encourage you to follow some advice that I heard from psychologist and journalist Charlotte Lieberman. She writes, when it comes to addressing the problems you want to address, you have to talk to yourself like you would talk to a friend. This is so important. Sometimes we're just too hard on ourselves. And yes, we need to be honest. We can't let ourselves off the hook, but be compassionate with yourself in the same way you would be if a close friend was coming to you for, to be consoled over revealing their own personal regrets. Simple but powerful advice. Talk to yourself like you would talk to a friend. Getting honest with yourself is an important part. It's such a vital place to start, but it won't be enough to break the sorry cycle because next you've got to get honest with God. You got to get honest with yourself and you got to get honest with God. I mean, so often our shame and heartache holds us back from approaching the very one we most need to tell. Isn't it true? And when you go to God, it's not like he's going to say, oh, I can't believe what you just told me. (laughs) Right? I mean, but like any relationship, it's one thing to know that you've been wronged. It's another thing to have someone confess to you that they know that they have done wrong, right? James, the brother of Jesus, he must have known regret. He writes these words that I've tried to remember over and over again, almost on a daily basis. Draw near to God and he will what? Help me out. Yeah, draw near to you. You draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God so wants to hear from you and you need to tell him so that you can draw near to him and seek his help to make right what is wrong. See, God wants to heal, redeem, and restore all that's broken, right? We sing that song, but it's going to require you get honest with him. So we've got to get honest with yourself. You've got to get honest with God. And finally, you've got to get honest with somebody else you got to get honest with somebody. We all need a Nathan in our lives to help us start over. Every single one of us do. We need a Nathan in our life to start over. That's part of what this U plus life is all about. We're not intended to be on this journey by ourselves, on your own. No, you've got to stop the hiding and let somebody know. Just about a week and a half ago, I had sat down over coffee with somebody. They shared a regret with me. And in that moment, like for both of us, there was this crazy weird sort of freedom in the relationship that we hadn't experienced before. Again, James, the brother of Jesus, offers this wisdom. Consider or confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Say it out loud. So that you may be healed. healed. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is something supernatural and powerful when we confess to each other that doesn't happen when you're on your own. Share your regrets with someone you trust a close friend in his book the power of regret bestselling author daniel pink observes that we hold back from confessing because we think that others will think less of us right but in study after study on confession he found that that is absolutely not true he says we have over 30 years of science telling us that people generally think more of us not less of us when we confess out loud to someone else is that fascinating 30 years of research says, no, when you confess to someone, they actually think more of you, not less. And so I just want to challenge you, if there was maybe even one simple takeaway, I would urge you, even this week, get honest and share your regret with a trusted friend. And I think you'll, you will be amazed at how that person actually thinks more of you and not less for being honest and real and open with them. It's kind of a heavy topic. But you know, regrets are, they're, they're kind of a pesky pebble that truthfully comes and turns into a heartbreaking boulder when we fail to address them. They get lodged in our lives and we find so many reasons not to recognize them. But today, I'm going to invite you to stop thinking they're going to go on their own. Instead, I, I want you to recognize your regrets. And so here's what's going to happen in just a moment. I'm going to invite everyone to come forward for communion like we, we always do. There'll be a couple of people up here and you can take the bread and the, and the juice that's in these little containers. You'll have to peel it back. You know the routine with that. That's the first part of this. And as you do that, I want you to reflect on the death and resurrection of Jesus. But I also want to offer you another opportunity. I want to give you a chance. And this is where I want to, want to stretch you just a little bit. You know, kind of come out of your comfort zone. And I want you to recognize your regret by writing on this regret wall that we have over here. And uh, again, this is a little bit different, okay? But I want you to, I want to just encourage everyone to, to, to consider participating in this. You know, psychologists have done work on forgiveness and they've actually noticed that sometimes art and creativity can open up our brains in ways that, that words and logic can't. And so sometimes it means I need to stop talking and you need to do something <laughs> in order for this to really work. And so what we want you to do is, is think about like maybe a symbol or a picture or a word or maybe it's, it's a letter or it's a, it's, it could be a phrase. It could be, um, like I said, a, a picture, something that represents your regret. And I don't know, maybe for you it's a heart that's broken. And as I was thinking about my regrets, and man, I've been wrestling with this all week. If I was to put something up here that kind of represents what's in my head right now, the regret that I need to recognize, I'd probably just do this. And it's the letter R and this is just between me and God right now (laughs) if I'm going to take the next step I'm going to have to share that with somebody this week but there's something that I'm thinking about right now and that's just my way of kind of saying okay God you know like I uh, yeah I'm thinking about this stuff and uh, I know the first step is to acknowledge it be honest with myself and be honest with you and then I'm going to be honest with somebody else and you can pick whatever it is for you you know that's not very artistic that's the best I can do (laughs) But I want to encourage you, as you come down front and you eat the bread that represents Christ's body that was broken for us, you drink the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us. Man, don't miss this. I mean, these are rare opportunities. Rare opportunities where you can actually come clean. Recognize your regret in a physical, powerful way. Let God work in this moment. Tell him about your, your regret in this way. And then later this week, at some point, tell somebody else. Because here's the deal. See, as long as your regret remains a secret, then it's got power over you. But see, today can be the day you recognize your regret, the first choice we can make when it comes to starting over. You know, Jesus instructed us to remember his loving sacrifice that gives us the chance to start over. That's what makes all this possible. And this bread and in the, in the cup reminds us of that. You know, last week John told me that it was in this moment when he uh, asked everyone who was thinking about a regret, was holding on to a regret, to just stand up right where you are. And he said, almost everybody stood up. Because this is a common human thing, we all have regrets. And so today we wanna, we wanna give you that same opportunity. So I'm gonna ask you in a moment to, to stand where you are and come forward down the center aisle. Participate, partake of the bread and the cup, and then make your way over to that wall and pick a piece of chalk and just write something on there that represents whatever the regret is that you're holding on to right now. And we're going to take a little bit of time for this. We intentionally ended the service at this time right now because we know we've got a few moments to kind of let this linger and let you take advantage of this time that we have. So I'm just going to ask you to stand up right now where you were, if you would. And if those that are going to be helping us with communion would come forward and take their places, that'd be great. And then I'm just going to, if we could, take like just a moment of silence. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to, to do what only he can do. We know he's present, but we're going to say, you're welcome here. Do what you want to do. Josh is going to lead us in a song, and then you're welcome to come down and take communion and then walk over the regret wall and Take this chance to, man, recognize it. Don't let it have power over you. Take that first step toward freedom. All right, let's just be quiet for a moment. God, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you that you give us what... We really need, and that's the chance to start over. Every day you say, your your mercies are new every morning. God, help us to recognize our regrets. God, use this moment. Give us the courage um, to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with you, and then some point later on, to be honest with someone else. We pray this in your name. Amen.